0: Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, our Associate Pastor to Families, Dr. Michael Wright. Join me in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, verse 15, 16, and 17, as we look at Paul's eagerness to preach the gospel, and we'll look today why, why he was so eager, why he was uh, desiring so much to go to Rome and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul uh, writes uh, the book of Romans, and I'll explain in a moment some of his motivation for it, why he wrote this letter, but let's first look at verse number uh, 15, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul was in Corinth when he wrote this letter to the Romans. Uh, as you know, he, he wrote uh, at least twice. Some believe he perhaps wrote three times. But we have first and second Corinthians. So we know he had a ministry to the folks in Corinthians. Uh, uh, in Corinth. And uh, so we have that. But when he was there, during one of his ministry trips, he wrote this letter to the Romans. He had to return, instead of going straight to Rome, which was about 600 miles to the northwest, he uh, he had to return to Jerusalem to to take an offering that people had taken up for the poor. And so he had... He had to go back to Jerusalem to do that, and he couldn't go to Rome, and he wasn't sure whether he would ever make it to Rome. And so he decided, uh, I would say decided, the Lord caused him to write this, this letter, and because he didn't know whether he would eventually arrive there or not, he gave this full-blown treatise about the, the, the sound doctrines of the Lord. And we are, we are blessed to be able to have that copy with us today in our English language. To, we can see in it all the wondrous things of the Lord. And of course, we know that Paul eventually did make it to Rome, not in the way he thought. He ended up going uh, to Rome as a prisoner of Rome. But there, God used him mightily even while he was in prison. And, and uh, so God has always used Paul but he had that great desire to go, and he, he says, I, I would like to come to you, but I can't. And, but, but I am eager to preach the gospel to those of you who are in Rome. Now, Rome was the, was the capital, if you will, the center point, the hub of the governmental power of that day. The political power in, in Paul's day. Going to Rome would be like saying, I want to go to Washington, D.C. and preach the gospel in all the the buildings, all the political and governmental buildings here uh, in our capital uh, of the United States. He knew that if he could get to Rome with this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, there would be a possibility then that the gospel would then spread out and literally go around the world that and of course in his mind perhaps the, that known part of the world and so he desired to do that knowing that that might be where it happens and so he wrote that and he sent the letter and and of course there were believers in Rome now some would say where did these Christians in Rome come from where how did they how did they end up there well there, there are some who believe that there were people at Pentecost who had heard the gospel when when Peter preached that great Pentecostal sermon and 3,000 people got saved. There are some who believe that there were some there from that area or from Rome who then took the story of Christ because they had received Christ and they went back to Rome and they launched the church there in that city. We don't know who they are or how large it is, but we do know that that there were believers there in that great city. So Paul writes to them and says, I want to come to you. And he's not sure if he's going to be able to go, but he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to them. I guess this is a rhetorical question, but are you eager? Are you eager to preach the gospel? Are we Eager to preach the gospel? Well, let's look, I'll just break this down into three simple thoughts. One, we see that Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. It would help if we understand what that word eager means. In fact, when we go to the Greek, we see that the word eager can also, and often does mean to be ready. Paul says, I am ready to preach the gospel. I am not only eager in motivation, But I'm ready in terms of my preparation. I'm ready to go and preach the gospel. I'm ready to do this. Now, why is that? Well, we know that one, Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. You know this story. It's in Acts chapter nine. Paul is going to Damascus. He's going to arrest Christians. He's going to kill them as he has been doing for quite some time. And on the way to Damascus, Damascus, Paul is blinded by a great light. It's the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, and that Lord who appeared, to, that resurrected Jesus that appeared to Paul said this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, that's the word from Jesus himself confronting Paul. And from that moment on, Paul, because he had met the Lord Jesus Christ, his heart was transformed. And from that moment on, his heart and life began to grow. And over the next few years, he began to prepare for the ministry that he took on for Christ. And man, when he launched that ministry, he launched a ministry. You know what he did? He started planting churches he started training young men like Timothy these pastors and telling them stay in the city preach the word of God in fact he says to Timothy his young his young friend in the gospel he says Timothy preach the word and then he says be ready in season and out of season Always be ready to preach the word of God. Be, always be ready to preach the gospel. Be, do it in whatever season is here. He says, Timothy, listen, God did not give you or me a spirit of timidity, but he gave us a spirit of power and a sound mind. Are you ready to preach the gospel? You see, Are you, do you have that readiness? Well, we probably need to be thinking about it a little bit more if we don't. I was doing some, some study and research from, from uh, the, uh, the Barna Group that does research about the church. And, uh, and one of the uh, things that I found from his uh, research that he did was that, is that, uh, uh, that the nation, our nation, the American nation, is becoming more and more, increasingly so, post christian Now, if you don't know that term, you need to get to know that term. Just Google it sometime and look. Post-Christian, what does that mean? I'm going to come back to it a little bit more, but let me just say this. That it basically means that there there is a growing population of people in our nation who do not know God. And not only do they not know God through Christ, they do not know the gospel. They don't even know the gospel story about God. They are not even interested in the things of the Lord. In fact, when he finished his, uh, his survey, which he did, by the way, it took him seven years to do this survey. And he surveyed over 76,000 people. And he asked those 76,000, well, he gave them 16 statements, whether to, to respond to them in a positive or negative way. And of those 16 statements, those who responded to 13 of those statements we're considered to be post-Christian in their thinking. What that means is, uh, what that would mean for us is that there's a great number of people who do not ever think about God. Maybe you're some of you in here are one of them. In fact, the, the, the statistics showed from the study that 30 percent of everyone in the Dallas-Fort Worth area This is, is by the way, a margin of error of only like three percentage points. But 30% of everyone who lives in our area do not know God, do not know Christ, nor have they understood or ever really heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say if this is the Bible belt, the belt is unbuckled. It is not. And... He also took, all, he was, he took a survey of all the big cities all across the United States. And the DFW area ranked 60th of 100. We are in the top 100 cities with people that have a growing population that do not know the gospel. And friends, you know what that means. If that many people claim to not even know God, there is another large percentage of people who say they know God but don't know God, and there's only really uh, maybe 20, maybe 20, maybe 25%, I don't know, who really, really have an, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And even in that span of people There are those who are hot-hearted for the Lord. And then on the very other end, there are those weak people that are just week by week attenders that all they do is just attend and they give a little tip to God and they go on. They're saved, but they're not growing in the Lord. I would say that that's exactly what Rome was like. Rome was not just post-Christian. Rome was not Christian at all. In fact, it was, the gospel was so early. And yet here's Paul looking at this city as we might look at our city. And Paul looks at this city and says, I am eager to get there. I am ready to get there. And so when I ask you the question, are you ready? Are you eager to deliver the gospel to your friends you know, at school? I know we're in summer break, but you know, think about that. Those of you who are students, are you ready to Are you ready to share? Are you eager to share the gospel with your friends at work? With the guy in the cubicle next to you or in the office above you or whatever it is? Are you always ready in season and out of season? For you see, friends, our only hope for America is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just the way it is. And nominal Christians are going to produce no result in the transforming work that needs to happen in preaching the gospel. I'm gonna come back to that study one more time to show you a few things. But Paul says, I'm eager. He says, I'm ready. Now, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is really the gospel? If we're gonna spread the gospel, if we're gonna talk about the gospel, let's at least understand what the gospel is. Well, number one, I would say in general, the gospel is the entire word of God. Now, I'm not trying to just you know, generalize this. I really mean that. From Genesis to Revelation, every book has some sort of message in it where we could say, this is why our world should trust Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. Every single book. Genesis tells us how man fell. And then it gives a little shadow of what's to come that there's going to be that the enemy's going to strike at the hill. But there's going to be one coming who's going to step on the head of the serpent. You know who that is, right? Jesus Christ. So from Genesis and you can just go all the way through the Bible and you see that the, all the Bible is good. Do you remember a guy by the name of Philip in the book of Acts? Philip is an evangelist. And the the scripture says that the spirit carries Philip away. I don't know if he literally carried Philip away or he led him to a place. But he ended up on a road where there was an Ethiopian eunuch who was coming down the road in a chariot. And he's riding along in this chariot. And Philip looks up and by, I guess, the divine circumstance of God, that lost Ethiopian eunuch is reading from a scroll, and that scroll was Scripture of Isaiah. And so Philip, I can just picture this in my mind's eye, he's running along the chariot, right? And he's saying, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the, the Ethiopian said, I, I don't know. I, how, how can I? Unless somebody explains this to me, boom, Philip is on the chariot. And he's talking and he's sharing from the old, what is our Old Testament, it's their testament back then in the first century, but he's sharing with them, he's sharing with this man how Isaiah is pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. And they must have gone all the way through it because by the, he must have even covered baptism because by the end of that share time, that Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, what hinders me from being Baptized? And Philip said, believe first. Believe on Christ. Put your faith and trust in Christ alone. That is what he does. You see, when I look at the gospel, I don't just say, well, that's just the story of Jesus. It's not just his life. Not just his sinless life, his atoning work on the cross, the shed blood on the cross. That certainly is, is the focal point. That's where everything was, was going. But it's not just that. It can begin with the whole word of God. When someone asks me, i show me please show me the righteousness of god show me the gloriousness of the lord i would have to say all right here are 66 books 39 old 27 new let's get started because it all is glorious to god it's the whole story of god and if you want to understand why jesus came onto this earth you need to read old testament it will support and point to why Jesus, our Lord, came. So the gospel is the whole story of the Lord. But also, and by the way, that's why Paul said, I'm eager. I'm eager and I'm ready. He knew the story of God from Old Testament. Why? He's a, he's a Pharisee. Paul is the most religious guy you can meet. I mean, he, he knew it all. And he, when he got saved, realized that everything he had studied is not thrown away. It's now very entirely useful for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The best way you and I can be prepared to teach and preach the gospel as believers is to know the entire word of God. Know the written word so that you can proclaim the living word, Jesus Christ. That's the way you do that. Now, he was a Pharisee. You know, there was another guy that reminds me of Paul. His name was Martin Luther. You know his name. He read the book of Romans, and of course, that's how he he came to the Lord. But Luther was a Catholic priest. He had promised God a long time ago that he would become a priest, if God would save him. God saved him from a lightning storm, and so he joined the monkery. And Luther said this. He said, if anyone was going to get to heaven through monkery, it would be him. He said, I became the best monk That anyone had had ever seen. I mean, you can hear Paul saying that same thing. I was the foremost Pharisee. I was better than anyone. I knew the law. Luther saying, "I, I was the best monk that I could possibly be. But you know what was lacking for Luther? Maybe it's lacking for some of you, even though you know the word. Luther did not have confidence in salvation because he did not have a saving relationship with Christ. He was trying to follow law. He was trying to do the rules, and all the rules were doing for him was leading him to condemn himself. He said, I can never be perfect enough. And then Luther read, because he was assigned to read Romans so he could teach it at a university. And he read Romans, and when he read, oh my goodness, when he read, he said, oh, it's about grace. Grace. Salvation is by faith in Christ. It's it's by grace. It comes as a way of mercy, and and our sins our sins are forgiven in Christ. It's the atoning work on the cross. Well, no wonder Luther got so excited. No wonder he decided to to tack his his theses on the Wittenberg door in Germany and and say you know those ninety five statements of the of the church and say, this is what's wrong with the church. This is what's wrong with the church. This is what's wrong with the church. Most of it had to do with indulgences, people paying their way to get to heaven. And what he did is he confronted the church on their unbiblical stand about salvation, which was a salvation by works. And then he found out it's about grace. You know what Paul did? Paul discovered it's not about the law. Paul discovered that salvation is in the grace and mercy and love of Christ as shown on the cross when Jesus paid the price for sin on the cross. And so, no wonder he's eager. No wonder he says, I'm ready. Not only do I know the law, but I am saved. There is no greater weapon to the enemy than a man who has the word of God in his heart and salvation that has wrought a brand new life and, he's, and that man is ready and willing and does preach the gospel of the Lord. Listen, this is not just needed in our schools and work, it's needed at home. This is where the transformation begins. It begins by coming to Christ. Paul says, I'm ready. And it's ready because he knows the Word of God, he's ready because he knows the story about Jesus Christ, the story of God through Christ. He says in verse 3 that this is all about his son, it's concerning his son. In 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 Romans 1, 3, he says that Jesus was a descended from David. This was prophesied that this would happen. He said that Jesus would come in the flesh. Jesus had to come in the flesh. Because if, if God didn't wrap up himself in human flesh, he could not have died real blood on the cross because real blood was necessary for the forgiveness of sin. He says it's declared that he's the son of God, verse 4. And that... It is affirmed, it's confirmed, it's declared by the Spirit of God. That is, while Jesus ministered in the flesh, he did great miracles, and he was the one the most and, well he was the most powerful preacher of the kingdom of God that anyone had ever seen. But that even wasn't the greatest thing of all. The greatest statement of all about Jesus Christ is that he died for the sins of man and for the glory of God. And he shed blood for the forgiveness of sin. And he went into the grave. And then on the third day, what did he do? He rose what? Again. Paul says, I'm eager. I'm ready. Powerful in his life. And this is why he wants to go to Rome. He's not afraid of the Roman emperor. He's not afraid of the governmental system. He's seen it. He's seen real power, not the power of Rome. So Paul says he's also not ashamed. Look at that. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I I know you know the the word. The word in the Greek for uh, power is the word dunamis. You know that, right? You've studied it before. And dunamis in the English means dynamite. Now, I would never argue with anyone if they said all. Paul is saying that, that, that the gospel is the dynamite for salvation. I would have no problem with that. wouldn't argue with that. I would just let you say that and, and say amen, praise the Lord, and let you go on. And then after you left, I would say, here's what it really means. Because back then, the Romans did not understand gunpowder. The Romans didn't understand an explosive event some bomb going off like we know today. What they did know though was the power and the oppression of a governmental system. An emperor with an empire, an emperor that, was, that had all authority to either grant the, the sustaining of life or an emperor who could order the end of life. At a moment, in a whim, he could say, Have that person taken out, and they were taken out. Now, that is authority. And I know when Paul says, listen, the gospel is not a power for death. The gospel is the power of salvation to all who believe. He said, oh, there are governmental authorities, all right, but they have no no power to transform life. Now, let me say this to you real quick as I know I need to get, we need to go here in a moment, that we need to make sure as a church, and I'm talking about the local church, as well as all evangelical churches. If you're from another church and, you, and, you're, and you're out of town, you go, you go back to your church and you encourage your church. Pray for the people. And remind the people that there is no power in man's strategy for the transformation of people's hearts. Now, we do Vacation Bible School, it is a strategy. But we do not do it just to say we held Vacation Bible School. We do it for the opportunity to deliver the power of God for salvation. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Written and living. And we don't try to convince anyone to come to the Lord. Why? Because the gospel is powerful enough when delivered that the Spirit of God can use the Word of God to to draw a man, woman, boy, girl to himself. I hate to bring this on you. And of course, I have to remind myself, our personalities are not enough to transform someone's life. It's just not going to happen. The gospel. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. It's not in me. I can't fail if I preach the gospel. Even if they don't like what I'm preaching. He told Timothy, hey, Timothy, preach the word. And and just be sure there are going to be people who don't like you preaching the word. In fact, they're going to want preachers that will tickle their ears. They're going to look for people who will tell them what they want to hear. So expect that to happen. But Paul didn't see uh, the result as whether he fails or pass. What he saw was preaching the gospel was a measure of success in and of itself. Why? Because when we talk about the gospel, it glorifies the Lord. He was eager. He was ready. And we need to make sure that all that we do, all, any, any vision we say that we have, any strategy that we want to employ, we need to make sure that the gospel is what fuels that strategy. That the gospel, because the gospel founded the church, that is Jesus Christ founded the church, the gospel fuels the church, and it's going to be the spirit of God that flourishes the church. It's not us. It's not us. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, he says, to the Jew first. And by the way, salvation is saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. God is a holy God, and he's going to punish sin. Jesus took our place on the cross so that we could have our sins paid for. But he says it's to the Jew. Now, you say, that's an unusual thing to, for him to say. Well, it's really not. See, the Jew represents religious people. There are religious people, perhaps, in this room. People, like I said, they come, but they don't know the Lord. They just, they like to hear preaching, or they like to hear singing, and they just kind of like hanging with good, clean Christian people, and, but they're religious. The Jewish person was religious, and yet Paul said they need the gospel. Why? Because religion leads to hell. All good intentions are paved, or all, all the road, as they say, is paved with good intentions. That road to hell is paved with all good things. But only a transforming relationship with Christ is going to do, make the difference. And Paul knew that for his Jewish brothers. That's why the writer of Hebrews told them hey, leave elementary teaching. Come out of elementary school about the things you've heard about Jesus Christ and put your full faith and trust in Christ alone come get out of elementary school, leave the bachelor's uh, degree of the law and enter into the master's possessive, the master's degree of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Now that's where we need to graduate. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. Hey, leave the old, come into a relationship with Christ. But he also says it's the power of God to the Greek. And of course the Greek The Greek are those who are really ignorant. They haven't even heard about the law. And so I return back to just for a moment to talk to you about post Christianity. Because of those those 16 statements, are these? Let me just read them off to you. And people, 76,000 people in our air responded to this. They said, here are the statements. They They could respond negatively or positively Do not believe in God, identify as an atheist or agnostic. Disagree that faith is important in their lives. Have not prayed to God in the last week. Have never made a commitment to Jesus. Disagree with them. Disagree the Bible is accurate. They have not donated money to the church. They have attended the church. They do not feel responsibility to share their faith. They have not read the Bible. They have not volunteered in church. They do not attend Sunday school. They do not attend religious small group. On a Bible scale, the Bible is seen as very low or very unimportant or not not necessary at all, and they, and they are not born again. The 76,000 people that respond to this, 30% of them said, I agree with those statements. They are post-Christian. The Greeks, the lost, the Gentiles, anyone who's not a Jew, who doesn't know the law, maybe you don't even know the law, you don't even know the word of God, and you're one of those kind of Greeks that's, that Paul's talking about here, You need Jesus. If you're religious, you need Jesus. Because that's your only hope for transformation. Paul says, In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God. You know what people need to see? They don't need to see, you know, the the church performing or, you know, jumping up and down or, although I don't have a problem being excited for the Lord I get excited for the Lord but that's not what the world needs to see the world needs to see the righteousness of God righteousness when that prophet Isaiah I mentioned him a while ago when he came into the the temple you see in Isaiah chapter 6 he says I saw the Lord high and lifted up and by the end of this great revelation of the Lord's robe and the smoke filling the temple and all of this you know what? You know what, the, that, that man Isaiah, here's a man that's, that, is, that is committed to God. you know what his response was? Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And he looks around and says, I live among a people of unclean lips. It's, a, it's as if some, some veil has come off of Isaiah and he realizes I'm a sinner. And this is why we preach the gospel. The Bible says the God, little g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the gospel, which is Jesus Christ. What we need to pray for is God lift the veils, the spiritual eyes of people that they might see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because when that happens, the next thing that happens is woe is me. I'm a sinner. I am a man of unclean lips. I have a family of unclean lips. I live among a people in my community of unclean lips. And that man then has opportunity to be drawn in and received by Jesus Christ. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why Paul says, I'm eager and I'm ready. Dear friends, that's what we're going to do this week, God willing. And that's what we're going to do week by week by week. We're going to be fueled by the gospel. Founded in Jesus Christ. And flourish in the Spirit of God. Lord, this is your gospel. We are your people. Help us to be eager and ready. Eager in motivation. Ready in our preparation. To preach the glorious, powerful, heart transforming word of God. We ask for you to help us do it. And help those who need to respond publicly to do so right now. We pray in Jesus' name.